0: yeah so th- this is pretty new to you like audio editing and stuff like that
1: um I'm getting better at it uh, I um yeah, I never did it before we started recording the podcast but um it's 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 a lot of trial and error yeah. so like I don't know what Mason told you but like when we first started doing it, I was like by hand going in and taking out long silences and ah. it was it was really it was really bad. And so then what do, you, what do you do now instead well I don't really worry about silences since there's four of us um, what I uh, do is I kind of use some of the built-in track effects and tweak them a little bit like there was a point where Dan was like we sh- uh, suggesting that I use a compressor and equalizer I don't yep I don't use either of those I just use a vocal booster a hard limiter and adaptive noise reduction um, and then
0: the only one I'm unfamiliar with out of those is the limiter. What, what does that do?
1: So, basically, you just set a decibel threshold and it doesn't go above that threshold. Oh, okay. Easy. So, like, you know, you and sometimes myself and then sometimes Mason, we're naturally a little quieter. hmm So, I run a vocal booster past everyone. Um, well, it's like, it's a, not a vocal booster. It's more like a leveler so that it um, makes everyone kind of in the same range. Yep. Uh and then I put a hard limiter on it to make sure it doesn't go past a, a certain threshold. Though, I think I should increase that threshold because what ends up happening is that I then, at the very end, after I mix everything down into its own MP3, I then do a uh, loudness check on it because there's like a predetermined loudness scale that podcast mm-hmm. should be at. And it's like negative ah okay negative 16 luffs. So I then... Uh, do a loudness check on everything it's usually below negative 16 it's usually like negative 18 or negative 19 so then I boost it up a little bit more Um, and I think the limiter is contributing to that so if I brought the limiter up a little bit more I think it would help but yeah, but what I used to do is I would go in by hand, you know, not knowing any of the stuff about audition or not knowing about audio editing at all. I would go in and I would hand turn up the decibel level oh, on like a certain no. waveform. I was like, "Oh, this section sounds really quiet," so I would like hand select all of it and then turn up the decibel level, which sounds like yeah. garbage
0: because uh, there's yeah, a lot more involved than just yeah. turning up the decibel level. Yeah, I've done that before, um, and. And it's just, it's a nightmare. <laughs> that sucks. So now what I'm doing, and I'm sure Mason's going to be like, why are you
1: doing this? Is just, just let it be. Is that I'm kind of going back and doing like a better pass on like the first like 18 episodes because the first 18 are like much quieter than yeah. all the following ones because um, I just didn't have any experience with that. So I would like listen cool. to it in the podcast. App. I'm yeah. like this, it sounds really quiet. Like I have to be at max volume to listen to it. And everyone else was like, I don't know what you're talking about. And then I checked it. And I was like, no, the loudness is actually less than yep. another podcast I've listened to.
0: So I'm right. <laughs> Word. I mean, that's how that stuff always works. If you've been doing something for a while, you learn something new to totally fix it. So, hey, I, that's pretty cool that you're, you're actually going back and fixing them.
1: Yeah. So I'll just do like minor tweaks and stuff and, and then leave
0: it be. Uh, before we go any further, do you want to do the... uh The honors kick us off. Ward podcast, episode thirty-eight. Go.
1: Go. Oh. Empowering. (laughs) Is that the the first one you've done? Has Mason let you do I think that's like the first one I've done like succinctly. (laughs) Good. Um,
0: Hi, Dylan. Hi, Alex. Welcome back. Thank you. It's good to be back. From Australia. From Australia. Um, I'm not going to even try to do an Australian accent because despite being there for like six days, uh, my accents are still garbage. Yeah? Yeah. I'm sure they would say that too because, you know, they think
1: American accents are garbage.
0: That was actually kind of a problem. Um, So I have such a thick American accent thick new jersey accent that i had to speak like consciously slowly and enunciate more not like i'm doing right now because i'm still kind of sick but like i had to really enunciate my words and kind of try to like pronounce things a little bit closer to the way they were just so people would understand me like i went to a coffee shop and i ordered a cappuccino i can't remember what my exact words were but it was enough that the guy like Double taked and, and was like, wait, what do you want? That's weird. Cause it like it was weird. I feel
1: like I have, especially since you know, other English speaking countries are inundated with American media. Yeah, I feel like it shouldn't be that hard. And like, I feel like I have a pretty good time, um, pretty easy time interpreting like British and Australian accents and like understanding what they're what they're saying. Um,
0: my theory is that I just speak too quickly and don't enunciate properly. So there's that. Can <laughs> okay, I have a cappuccino, please? Thank you. Get <laughs> me coffee. Um, hey, this is Yank. Just
1: came up and said, D- give me coffee. So I was, <laughs> yeah, one cappuccino for meh.
0: <laughs> was it an Australian Starbucks or is it like uh, so a coffee shop? Coffee culture in Melbourne is huge. And I think it is true of the entire country. Uh, cause I was in customs and they asked me if I had a food or anything like that. And I brought two bags of coffee back and I was like, I have two bags of coffee. Is that okay? And the woman looks at me and says, just so long as you know what to do with it. <laughs> <laughs> so no, th- this one was at a, you know, kind of a hipstery Brooklyn esque joint. Um, I was in, so, uh my take on Melbourne, uh, I, I had a pretty good time, but I was not uh, expecting the fact that it was. It felt very American. It, it's a very developed capitalist Western culture, so much to the point that it felt like San Francisco with a bit of London thrown in. And so huh. I actually, yeah, I ended up in a neighborhood that felt like Brooklyn. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah, I've never been abroad. So
1: eventually when I uh, pop my outside the US bubble, I'll, or cherry, I'll,
0: know what that experience feels like yeah uh hit me up for suggestions i've been fortunate enough to have traveled to quite a few places in the world I oh yeah guess. yeah um where you been oh man okay so wow um when i was eight and nine my dad had a job that had him tra- had him traveling a lot so he took uh me and my sister and my mom to both paris and london when we were way too young to appreciate any of it um then, as I got a little bit older, I'm just going to rattle these off as I as I think of them. Um, I went to Japan, uh, Bermuda. Wow, where else? Um, I've been to uh, Prague, Austria, and uh, Bucharest. So that's Romania, Czech Republic, and uh, Vienna. Um, I've been to damn a bunch of places dude. in Italy. I've been to Oh, there was one point where my dad's company had cruise liners as clients, uh-huh. so I went. I was lucky enough to go to uh, go on two cruises to various touristy parts of Mexico, like Cozumel and Costa Maya, and even a place called. Uh, it's not Roanoke because that's a place in Virginia, <laughs> but it was it was something along those lines, and it was actually a third world country. So I was like, like. 11 or 12 wow. and uh, like my eyes were open to the fact that the rest of the world is not like new jersey yeah. like in parts
1: check. that are very impoverished yeah check this out um that's kind of like uh wendy's mom uh wendy's grandfather who she's visiting today actually uh ah. was in the state department um and so her mom's family traveled a lot while her mom was growing up um so wendy's mom grew up uh was like in India for a large stint. Was in Israel, Greece, like a lot of um, a lot of places with really good food. Yeah. So it's a real treat going over to Wendy's parents' house because like her mom knows how to cook all of these like you know different ethnic foods nice. and makes like really good Indian food and like. That was the first time I had ever eaten Indian food because my family was very much a, all right, spaghetti on Tuesday, meatloaf on Friday, <laughs> lasagna on Wednesday kind of family. Like, kind Italian. Of, I mean, well, Italian, but also like- vento. But also like very like tradition American staples, like pork chops or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, and my mom cooked a lot. It was just nothing, nothing, you know, no Indian food, nothing crazy. Yeah. So- and I really like Indian food. And I knew I'd like it before I even had it. I was like, this this smells like something I'd like. So Nice. <laughs> um,
0: um, Indian food. So, I- I've told you I grew up as a picky eater, right? Nuh-uh. I haven't heard that. Okay. So, I grew up as a picky eater. Um, I was very picky up until age like 13 when I was old enough to realize that there were some cases where I would either just look like an asshole, uh, <laughs> impose difficulty on others, or make people feel bad by not eating certain things. You know, if someone had cooked something for me and I didn't want to eat it, you know, I could offend them or, you know, or I would just be hungry. So especially like living abroad. Like, I feel like that's much more of an issue. Well, uh, I've never lived abroad. Those were all, uh, Oh, those were like trips. Okay. Got it. Oh yeah. But, um, I mean that, so there were certain situations where I would just make myself eat whatever was in front of me. Um, and also when traveling, I tried to just, if it, even if it weirds me out, like I've, I got over my distaste of fish by traveling because I would, you know, uh, I would go to these places where fish is like the main part of the meat in in people's diets and I would just have to eat it. Um, So yeah, Indian food I'm still working on. Uh, You know, it's I'm picky based on like texture and stuff. And there's a lot of like sauces and sloppy things in Indian food. Are you not fan of sauces? really depends on what the sauce is mm. uh, now these days I totally am but when I was younger uh, you know that one was a harder hurdle for me to jump
1: because mm. I think my favorite Indian dish is probably uh tikka masala like chicken like any sort of meat in there um and it's, it's, it's a cream based sauce so it's like cream and tomatoes and like you know all the traditional Indian spices kind of mixed in there but it's really good it's probably also really bad for you with the amount of cream that's in there but it's <laughs> really good <laughs> ah. Screw it. Go to the gym the next morning. Whatever. Um,
0: ever had a uh, paprikash? This isn't in Indian. I think it's like Eastern European. Um, w- maybe there were a lot of things I ate when I was abroad where I just simply didn't ask what it was. Paprikash is kind of like a stew. It's kind of like ratatouille, but with
1: like a more cream-based sauce. So kind of like tikka masala, but um, I think the the base is usually um, uh, sour cream. Nice. And I had that at Wendy's parents' house once before too. And it's really funny because there's that scene in Civil War where Civil War spoilers where Vision is making paprikash
0: for Wanda. because oh, like, it's, hey, like, you you didn't even give that a pause. You better just hope all like twenty some odd subscribers we have to this <laughs> podcast have seen Civil War. Anyway. But it's also so. not
1: like that big of a scene. It's like it's it's a very yeah. touching scene. Like they, f- they probably
0: have that in the the press tour reel.
1: And it's like uh like one of my more preferred scenes in that movie, but, like, it's not... It doesn't, like, spoil anything. But, like, you know, uh, Vision is making paprikash for Wanda because it's, like, supposed to remind her of home because it's, like, an Eastern European dish. And I thought that was a really cool, like, touch to that. Also, I would have just watched an entire movie of just Vision and Wanda... Oh, hell yeah. ...hanging out in that... in the Avengers facility because I think... or compound because I thought, like, their whole thing that they had going on was just as interesting if not more so than some of the other stuff that was going on during that movie. Uh, two questions for you.
0: You know about the romance from the comics, right? I know nothing of the comics. Okay, so like, in the, in the I comics, know like the general of mythology
1: of like all of the characters. I know very little about Scarlet Witch even though she's supposed to be this very like central figure. Yeah, but outside um, of that, I mean I barely know anything about the Vision. I think the only thing I know from the Vision uh, is like from uh Marvel Ultimate Alliance, because I think that's when I was first yeah. introduced to him. I was like,
0: "Oh, Dude, that came rocked." Purple we'll talk robot about, guy. Let's talk about that in a second. But so, all you need to know about Vision and Wanda in three sentences. First, uh, Wanda be, later becomes so powerful she rewrites the entire Marvel universe. Uh, Vision is also godlike and can change his density, and the two of them have a romantic relationship in the comics. Um, I liked the movie one more it felt more you know subtle and complicated and, and nuanced yeah. um, <laughs> unlike like, anything in comics <laughs> yeah unlike anything in the comics which I haven't I, I've never really read far enough back I think that was in like the 70s or 80s or maybe even later but I got to assume that it's just like hey th- these are boyfriend and girlfriend now and, and that's that and obviously the implied question is well he's a machine and she's a human how, how does that work yeah does he um, have a pee pee? <laughs> thank you for putting that so eloquently. How did you feel about vision's sweater? Oh, I thought that was funny. Call me totally off guard the first time that came on screen
1: i think I think that whole like it just kind of had the vibe of like a kind of a a college Afternoon special, like not in a bad way, but I had like, kind of like, oh, these people are figuring themselves out because you have (laughs) Wanda who's kind of a shut in and, you know, has these special powers and you have Vision who's kind of this artificial life form that is born of this, you know, because there's so many characters that are fighting for screen real estate in that movie that if all of every time you saw those characters was in a fight, it wouldn't be that interesting. But giving... Scarlet Witch and Vision, like they like I felt like it that worked a lot better than an Age of Ultron when it was
0: like when you went to uh, Hawkeye's family's house. Yeah, I actually like that scene solely because it it gave Clint Barton a character yeah. and a story. Yeah,
1: it gave him like something to fight for, but like still, I don't think Hawkeye is nearly that fleshed out. And I yeah. just I just thought you know what the character that vision is like i kind of like that kind of articulate high intelligence but also kind of like lacking common sense approach character like he
0: just phases through the wall he's like you're not supposed to do that like this is someone's private room he's like (laughs) oh sorry yeah that was a good way to pull him into this movie um i think age of ultron tried to do way more than it could and and failed in a lot of ways because of that um i'm ridiculously impressed with how well the um not the Coen brothers. What what are these two guys names? I think I made that same mistake. No. Yeah. Um it's the Russo uh, brothers, right? Russo brothers. There we go. Like the sheer amount of story, the passion of this movie and relationship building between the characters is you know, unprecedented for a Marvel movie. Um
1: Well, yeah. I th- I think I mean, they do deserve credit, but I think we don't give enough credit to the screenwriters who I'm blanking on their names right now, yeah. but they've oh, of course. they've written a lot of the um Uh, Marvel cinematic movies Uh, and there was a really I think I read it on Polygon there's a really good article about um, how they basically had to write Spider-Man in such a way that he would not be pivotal to the story in case they didn't get the rights to his character so they could easily add him in and take him out so and in doing so they said that Black Panther actually became a more pivotal
0: character yeah I I really like that Black Panther was in it um, as much as I love Spider-Man, when I found out he was going to be in the movie, I was actually a little bit bummed because I wanted Black Panther to have that you know more pivotal role usually reserved for Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. I thought would have been more interesting.
1: I think everyone gets just representation in that movie. I just think that Vision and Scarlet Witch scenes um, are so much more thoth- oh, yeah. thoughtful in their approach that I, it kind of endeared me more to them. Also definitely also we're still talking civil war spoilers so if you just skip to this point keep skipping because we're talking more civil war spoilers (laughs) that this the first thing i said when i walked out of the
0: theater is that they wasted crossbones i was like man such a i mean it wasn't like captain phasma wasting a character but it Uh was definitely you know it's almost become uh Part of the recipe at this point for a Marvel movie, or at the very least, a Captain America movie, because it happened in the last one with with Baltroc, where there's an initial bullshit kind of hurdle, like, oh, it's a villain and he's attacking, and then you take care of him, and then he's not part of the movie anymore. It's like the cold open, right? And I understand that from like a
1: logistical standpoint. Otherwise, you have to keep track of all these goddamn villains, yeah, and like that would just become a screenwriter's nightmare. But I just really liked i liked his character design i liked i like the fact that he was like you know who he reminds me of he reminds me of just kind of visually and also like in terms of personality reminds me of uh oh shit what's that character's name in overwatch is it is that uh, oh, pa- uh pack rat what's his name Junkrat. Junkrat. because he's just like really wiry and kind of like unhinged and like there and all of his gadgets are like shitty MacGyver together, like wired pieces of machinery that like at any moment look like they're going to just kill him, which is the point of one of them. Spoilers again. But yeah. like he just keeps pulling shit out, but it looks like it's just kind of masking tape together and he just like looks completely unhinged. And I think like his entire character design like made him such a interesting Little nugget of a character, and I think if like, and probably if he stayed any longer, he would have probably like, there there probably would be nothing else to that character, and they would have kind of burned out on him. So it's probably good that they you know used him as they did, but it's still just like, man, he just, I feel like him as a villain in that scene just brings so much like weird energy. Like there's there's few times where I actually get excited by the way a character acts and they look and they and, and they way they they interact in a scene and yeah. a lot of that is lended by like the character design but that was one of those scenes where it's just like man I just wanted to see more of that more of him pulling out stupid gadgets and being like yeah. hey here's a gun with a boxing glove at the end of it <laughs> like it wasn't to
0: that extent like zaniness but it just, it kind of felt like that yeah totally um, yeah I could see maybe some kind of like short film about his character. Um, I mean, there, there was a big time gap between Captain America two and three, you know, him being pulled of the, from the wreckage and getting better. Cause obviously when a building lands on you, you kind of need a little bit of time to recover. Yeah. I'm sure. So there's some really interesting material in there that they could explore if they wanted to. Um, God, what was I going to say. Um, and also I, that, that actor
1: was talking about how he put like 30 pounds of, muscle on for that role and like dude your role was like 10 minutes of the movie like was that really warranted like i mean good for you taking
0: care of your body but still jesus christ yeah um when you're when you're working at it 30 pounds is actually not a huge leap in either direction unless you're already like totally maxed out um i lost 30 pounds over the course of two or three months for for that fight i did a couple of years ago um so, if you're working with a personal trainer I, I could see thirty pounds being an easy add on hmm. um I did like uh daniel Broll's version of of Captain Zemo, yes, or um Baron Zemo well, it's Baron Zemo in the comics um Captain Zemo in the movie um wait, I thought he was a colonel colonel whatever yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> that guy okay, okay. i I, I would have liked to see the purple mask thing, yes, yeah, I wanted like to see the that. classic Zemo look. Mm-hmm. I can understand why they didn't do it um. It was nice to see a, a an interesting Marvel villain after Ultron was such a letdown, and then they killed Crossbones like immediately. So I'm glad this one had a good one, you know, up there with Loki as far as villains go.
1: Yeah, and they're obviously going to keep him around for whatever. Yeah, they're,
0: they're going to do with him. Um, we're most likely going to get uh, Andy Circus as Ulysses Claw in the Black Panther movie because he's a huge Black Panther villain. Okay. Um and he later in the comics he takes on the name Claw, K L A W because of his severed arm and he has like a robotic claw and stuff.
1: Yeah, I read up about him when I after I saw Age of Ultron. I was like, this this claw looks kind of stupid. They're they're going to have to try real hard to make this work within yeah. the, the design of their movies cuz otherwise it's going to look super the, hokey. Uh,
0: the comic design—it's really hokey. Yeah. Um. Anyway, superheroes. Yeah. Our, um, our requisite superhero talk. Indeed. For the week, uh, superhero corner. Now the weather. Um. It's gonna rain. <laughs> I'm so glad you you followed with that. What
1: have you been playing, Dylan? I've been playing. Let me tell you. All right. I've been playing a game called uh, Son of Nor. Ah. Which. Uh.
0: All right. Hold on, I'm, just for context, I'm going to pull up some some images while you talk about this. Okay.
1: So Son of Nor was a kickstarted started game. Um, I believe the studio is called Still Alive Studios. Um,
0: oh, God, this looks like trash. <laughs> okay,
1: well, okay, so so, so, let me go into it. So um, do you ever play the game Fracture?
0: Uh, a First, little bit, yeah.
1: Okay, so you're familiar with that. Yep. So, like, Fracture is this terraforming game where you play as, like, you know, these it's a third-person shooter where you have a gun that, like, can raise and lower uh, the, the ground. And, like, that's yep. your main source of, like, combat and puzzle mechanics. So, like, take that and then mix it with Star Wars The Force Awakens where, like, you have telekinetic abilities and you can lift people up and throw things at enemies and stuff to take them out. So, take those two games... I'm mean, kind of collide them together and then make it way, way worse than <laughs> oh, either no. of those games.
0: No. Um, Fracture
1: wasn't that good to be good with. <laughs> yeah. I, I never played. I only ever played the demo on 360. So like I can't speak I to Fracture's too. like overall quality, but it was a fun mechanic. It was it was really yeah. interesting. I don't I don't think that mechanic's been done correctly yet. I don't think. I, yeah I'd agree with that um, so so was that the main mechanic of son of nor so that's the thing there is no main mechanic oh, because no. they kind of throw all this stuff at you at once and say look at this you can you can do this and you can do this and you can you have wind powers you can you you know you have elemental based attacks and you have this telekinetic ability and you have all this stuff and then they completely forget about all of that like they like they upfront tell you all these things you can do and then, like, you kind of forget you can do half of these things. It's, oh no! It's almost like, um, uh, like in Bioshock, uh, which I know this is going to be sound like me shitting on Bioshock again, but I'm not. Um, it's Good thing Dan isn't here. <laughs> no. Uh, but in Bioshock, when you unlock the plasmids, there you kind of get to a point, like, you know, when you first unlock a plasmid, you, um you kind of go through this kind of like tutorial based area where like you practice with the plasmid. Like I remember getting the telekinetic ability and you have to like pull stuff to you. They're uh, far away because it wants you yep. to practice with it. Or like when you first get the, uh, um, what's the fire ability called? I know it's called devil's kiss. And is it called devil's kiss in Bioshock or is that Bioshock? Infinite? No, it was
0: something else. That's just infinite. It, uh-huh. it's, it's some other name.
1: Well, whatever it was called, then like you're in that ice area. So you have to like thaw all the ice out and stuff. And yep. it's like, so it's like, Puzzle is based on the plasma you just unlocked so you, you can learn to how it. to use yeah. the ability and then you're free to use whatever you want. So like, I never used telekinesis outside the small area that you need to use it because that just wasn't my play style. Yeah. But in Son of Nor*, you have all these abilities and they tutorialize them, some of them, when you come to need them. But sometimes you just forget, especially in combat, that you have, have them or in some of the puzzles. Um, Yikes. Yikes. And it's also really difficult because it's not like in Bioshock where you have all of these abilities and then you assign them to uh, buttons. In Son of Noor, the abilities are just innately tied to the buttons constantly and they're context sensitive. So in, in the case of the terraforming thing, um, you have uh, the... Right and left triggers are like your most means of attack. So it's a third-person game. If that hasn't been clear, it's a third-person game, and you're walking around. It's kind of a fantasy. It's kind of like an Egyptian setting, and you're this. I char- looked
0: and saw dinosaurs.
1: Yeah, and and in the in the enemy race is like a brace of lizard people. So there's like this this like cinematic cutscene. Uh, like animated cinematic cutscene kind of like in the witcher like how there's yeah. there's 2d comic ones book style Yeah, yeah, and it's, it's not good at all oh, like good, all the, the
0: graphics leave a lot to be desired already
1: all the people like look super Disfigured in this intro cutscene. It's like dude like what? Oh, eighth no. grader did you hire to do this because like did you just hire your friend who was like really into comic books? But like didn't know how to draw that well, but you felt bad telling him no you already promised a job to him So you're just stuck Ooh. with this stuff like how much did you pay him um but there's so they they set up all this mythology at the beginning and like so there's this world and like uh and there's a god called nor and i forget what the and then there's another god and i think that's that's his wife and i forget the other god's name but they create these these races and one of them is the uh the i have my notes right here uh the Sarahul,
0: which are the 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 lizard people. You already lost me. No,
1: with... I yeah, I had to take notes on this shit because like I so when talking about the story, like I'm trying to keep all this crap. They just like it's it's kind of a chicken in the egg thing when you're writing fantasy because you need to create a world to like. You have to create up this mythos in this in this in this universe, you know, like The Witcher, like Elder Scrolls, like World of Warcraft, like all this stuff. But the problem that I run into in reading it, or if I were to ever to write it, is like I would constantly, uh, and and sometimes I'm just constantly stopping myself and being like, do I give a shit? Like, does yeah. all this stuff matter? Like, how much of this is generic? How much of this is like just them? Just like because like people want to write this stuff people, like, especially, like, fantasy writers, and they want to make up all this, like, you know, these exotic worlds and all these things, but, like, the excitement in, like, making up these fantasy creatures and these races and these abilities and powers and, like, means and languages and stuff, it's, like, it kind of obfuscates. Is like, the point is just to tell a story.
0: Yeah. And, like, when did, you have... Did they give you any kind of emotional connection to these characters or the world, or is it just, hey, it exists, so care about it? So, it, it's a lot like, um...
1: Uh, the Elder Scrolls game where your character is like nameless and doesn't speak much. Um, he does have the, the character does have some speaking lines, but not a lot. Um, so you know the 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 playable character is kind of like your cipher into the world. But so so let me get through this. So like so you're called Son of Nor because there are like certain humans that have like these special uh abilities um which are you know, religiously they believe to be bestowed upon them by this god, Nor, And then when like the world was created, there was the Great War and the Saurhuul, the lizard people enslaved all of mankind and attacked each other and then, Mankind was able to flee, and they fled into these oh. these canyons, um, and then that's where they lived, and they've lived there for centuries. And then now the Sarah Hold like have discovered where they've been hiding, which doesn't make any goddamn sense because like you think over several centuries you'd be able to rediscover you know your in your slave race, especially yeah. if there's not like an ocean separating you two. But it
0: probably couldn't have hidden that well.
1: Yeah, like the entire so the entire like landscape, the scene you know the background it's like it's it's egyptian based so it's all like you know mesas and canyons and and sands and stuff and and there is some like color palette swaps like uh there's like um a point where you kind of go to a more uh there's like an area that surrounds a volcano so there's more of like these contrasting reds and and blues because it like takes place at night so like so like some of the actual like scenery and set design actually looks kind of good and i like that they're using an egyptian influence Because it, um, I feel like that's more unique. You don't really see Mm. Egyptian influences in a lot of, in a lot of, uh, fantasy settings. But, um,
0: yeah. From the the screenshots I was looking at, it looks like a whole lot of tan and brown, just like sand and rocks and sand and rocks and low polys. Yeah, to start off with,
1: like, in terms of, like, graphical fidelity, I would compare it along the levels of, like, somewhere between, um Morrowind and Oblivion.
0: Okay, so like but, we're talking like PS2 era.
1: Yeah, because it has like some of Oblivion's like color palette and like some of it's like the some of the modeling you would see in very early Xbox 360 era, but yeah. then on closer inspection some of it looks very low poly like Morrowind. Yeah. Um Oof. Oh, and the best part is that, uh, so you, like, start off in this village area that's, I I don't know, whatever. Um, (laughs) but, like, all of the characters that you speak to, like, like, they couldn't decide on a regional accent, so, like, yeah. some of them have, like, a very, like, Middle Eastern or, like, Northern African accent. And then you just talk to someone who's, like, a farmer. He's like, howdy, y'all. I need some berries that need picking. Can you help me pick these berries? And I'm like, what? Where did this country bumpkin come from? Like, it's not even, like, you know, Middle Ages, you know, Britain country bumpkin. It's, like, southern... Uh, you know, civil war area or modern times country bumpkins. Like, doesn't make any sense. So it's like, they just hired a bunch of voice actors. just like, I oh, don't know, do your thing. Like, you know, just free for man, you know, freestyle. <laughs> so, yeah. Yikes. So, so, so the worst part, so like, so like, you know, if, if the fidelity, was low you know it doesn't really matter like i've played plenty of low fidelity games what matters is like how responsive the controls and the gameplay is like even if it's not fun because it's a physics-based combat game like 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 force awakens is not inherently fun to my opinion like some of the challenges in force awakens like aren't fun like i did not enjoy going through the game but i still enjoy throwing stormtroopers across a map wait the Force Awakens or The Force Unleashed? I mean, The Force Unleashed. I'm sorry. Yeah, there we go. But Force Unleashed, like, there's still inherent joy and in, like, picking up two stormtroopers oh, totally. and, like, spinning them around, and then they hold each other's hands because they don't know what else to hold on to. They just <laughs> fling them away. Like Dave, they, we're gonna die. But, I love you, Jeff. <laughs> but when you pick up enemies in Sons of Noor, they, like, basically T-pose... Like, oh, not, not straight T-pose, but they, like, freeze in the last animation they were at, and they just kind of, like... It's, like, just picking up, like, an action figure or, like, an army man and, like, just kind of spitting them in the air, and then you just kind of, like, throw them away for you. So, like, a lot of the combat itself is not inherently fun because it just... it's not that responsive. And I think it's, it's partially because they tried incorporating so many systems. Like, the terraforming system
0: is not that useful in combat. Yeah, at this point, I'm not sure why any of these systems should exist with each other. Like, I, it sounds like they've, they're just taking all the cool features that they found in other games and saying, oh, these, these are godlike powers and our character has all of them.
1: Well, it's like they watched Avatar the Last Emperor Airbender and were like, I want our character to do that. Yeah. And like... Because you un- so later on you unlock um, elemental fire. abilities yeah. yeah so I haven't gotten fire yet so like the, your your intro ability is like the terraforming thing and then telekinesis which I guess that's on element but Let's see of earth kind of air but then you do unlock an, a wind based ability where like if, oh, okay. if you you pick something up with your telekinesis and um, then you can imbue it with wind and you throw it an obstacle because some of the, like, there are, like, block passageways that can only be broken from, um, like, imbuing, like, a rock with wind and then it'll shatter the, 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 the
0: blockage. New Check. after Pepto-Bismol. <laughs>
1: Check your colon. Uh, colonoscopy.
0: Son, son of Nora is coming for you.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, um... Yeah, it's, 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 it's not that great.
0: I don't think I'm going to play any more of it. Damn. Uh... uh. Well, shit. Um, so, I'm not sure how much of of this I can say because you know you're you probably signed an NDA and all that. It's, uh-huh. it's for your company, right? Yeah. This, okay. Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm taking a look at this for someone else. Um, gotcha. So, like, so I will say, um, so I'm, so I'm not. I don't think this is a game that should be like immediately. Like, I'm glad I got to look at this game because, yeah. like. It's, it's because you could just see how close they are and like, there's a lot of like good intentions and goodwill in this. Like, oh, this could like, there's just, there's just like a glimmer of like enjoyment here. Like when I was picking up enemies and like throwing them, like there are some times where just like, it would, it would click and I was like, oh, like that was, that was an enjoyable moment, but it's like, it's not hitting often enough so like this Mm. entire thing feels broken like if you pick up a rock with a telekinetic ability and you throw it at someone it does damage to them I assume because you have to throw it at them like two or three times but there's no response from the enemy that you've done damage so they just kind of stand there while this rock that's literally the same size as them and probably three times their weight if not more hits them in the head and then they just kind of stand there and then they keep running at you, and then you throw it at them again, and then the ragdoll physics kick in. They fall over, like when they when they're dead. So it's like there's no there's no response.
0: There's no signifier, no yeah, nothing like that. So two questions for you: the first, would you say you're learning a fair amount about game design from playing this? Yeah, you know, things to keep in mind or or do differently. Um, yeah, they're not. I mean. Almost it, like a, a case study of warning against bad practices.
1: Yeah, in a way, like it's more—it's a lot more about feel. Like it's really hard to like communicate some of this stuff because, like, it's it, because you know you say game design, but what does that really mean? It was like y- you can design all these mechanics, and then p- on paper they might seem fun, but the second you go out and test them, like they're they're not fun. So like a lot of this stuff, like like I said, it's almost there. It's just. They either didn't have the time or the resources or the manpower. It's like, look, we spent all of our Kickstarter money, which this game made like $150,000. And they're like, we spent all of our resources just making these mechanics and making... Because I'm pretty sure it's a decently sized campaign because I'm like uh, almost three hours in and I'm just like now leaving kind of the starting village area. Wow. Like there's like a dungeon... Of sorts connected to the starting area uh and then you venture out outside of it Um, has the
0: experience so far felt like it warranted that much game time and that much material to play through i know that's kind of like a, a weird way to ask this what i'm saying is do you think they could have done better with a shorter game uh i mean i don't know i guess it would entirely depend
1: upon um you know, how long the game is ultimately and what you do. Cause like, I look at like my, uh, cause you have like a book that, you know, that's kind of your quest log and also like your, your tech tree, your upgrade tree and all this other stuff that's keeping track of. And like, there seems like a lot more stuff that I have yet to unlock, but, um, I don't know if I want to unlock it. So I think it's just, it's a sense of scope, like, especially like it's super indicative in the, uh, in the story because you can just tell these people had these grand visions and, you know, of telling these amazing tales of faraway places and doing all this stuff where it's just like, well, why don't you focus on figuring out what you're trying to say with the story? Cause the story, story is super generic. Like, yeah, it's, 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 it's full of every trope and every cliche line of dialogue. Like there's literally like the tutorial is literally a nightmare your character has that he then wakes up from and he goes that nightmare it felt so real and it's like well you lost me like you lost me before we even began like it's really
0: had me at hello yeah um um so what do you think the is the single biggest or, or main problem about this game
1: Well, like I said, I think it's a sense of scope—the the 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 scope that they were trying to hit, which I don't know anything about. Still alive? I don't know if this is their first game. I don't know like how many like uh, people they have on their staff that are familiar with uh, game development. Uh, Because I mean, it's commendable that like this is you know for as unfun as it can be sometimes, it's still a fully realized 3D game. That's I'm gonna say I'm gonna estimate that the campaign of the story is at least 10 15 hours long um, from what I feel like where I am in the story and how much more there is to, to go mm. um so it's completely like they did it like that's 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 worthy of of someone's time and someone's respect like you you made something but like I think they would have done much better if they tried to focus on one of these gameplay mechanics. And just fine-tune that one. Because obviously they couldn't have fine-tuned all of them. Because like they would probably need twice as much money. But uh, huh. that that's the that's the main problem. Um, and just, like, I don't know. Like, don't just go with the first thing you think of. And, you know, I'm making a lot of assumptions of, like, how they went about this. I mean,
0: you can probably tell as you're playing. You know, you've played games for long enough. i played games for long enough. And you're a smart enough person to be able to make a couple educated assumptions about their development of this game yeah so the 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 complimentary thing that i would say about
1: this uh game that i actually really enjoyed is that its puzzle some of its puzzles are actually really kind of uh well done and 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 they're just they're very simple basic uh logic puzzles it's like nothing nothing too crazy um but the like first dungeon area is like basically these ancient ruins. Stop me if you've heard this before. They're ancient ruins built by an advanced civilization long dead from this world, uh, but um, and they kind of like the 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 aesthetic of of the um of like the ruins like super remind me of like the Dwemer ruins from Skyrim. And it's mm-hmm. like so, like those those greens like those moss greens and, the, and then like all of the like light up lines of light that are like golden light in the ground all that it's like just exactly like that um and there are some uh logic puzzles in there so there's like a mirror puzzle which like same kind of mirror puzzles you'd see in like prince and persia which like whatever use your telekinetic abilities to move the mirrors like you know that was fun to do um and it's actually and that's and it's actually fun when where i would compliment the bevy of Abilities that the character has, because you kind of run around this puzzle. Because it's not just moving the mirrors. There's a an extra component to it, where it's like, oh, this thing's past or blocking the thing. I have no ability to move this thing. Because yeah, I have a telekinetic ability, but it only works on objects so large. And then you realize, no, you don't have the. Because it's like an obelisk blocking the shaft of light. And then you realize, no, I don't have an ability to move that, but my telekinetic ability can move this giant ball that's kind of like an architectural um, mm. thing, and then I can swing it like a pendulum and smash the obelisk, and it, and it, it, it makes you think more than other mainstream games. Like I remember in Skyrim, nice. how like Skyrim's big puzzle revelation was—you would get those jeweled claws. And then you would just rotate it in the item view. And it's like, oh,
0: stop it. That wasn't a puzzle. Ugh.
1: But like that, that was what most of the quote unquote puzzles were in that game. And like, like the first time you did it, you felt kind of smart. And then after that, it's like, okay, this is just the same thing over and over. It's just a different pattern.
0: And even the cave puzzles weren't that puzzly.
1: I do remember one being like kind of, kind of all right, but I can't, I can barely remember. It was like on some secondary quest.
0: Yeah. I don't associate Skyrim with his puzzles.
1: Yeah, but, um, but man, there's this fucking puzzle in Sons of Noor where I was getting so pissed off, not because it was challenging. It was challenging, but not for the way it was challenging because it was like broken. So it after you do the mirror puzzle, this platform raises like out of the ground and it's like a, uh, oh man, someone's like blaring bass down my street. It was like shaking the window. Um, but this puzzle is like it's a platform and it's weight based. So you have to throw a requisite amount of weight on it and then it opens the door. I was like, all right, easy enough. But when you throw the requisite amount of weight on it, it raises this um, circle that's spinning around the platform and it has a bunch of like uh, laser traps on it. huh And if you touch it at all, you're dead. And not only are you dead, it just, like, flings you. And it's spinning at, like, like, 100 miles an hour. Like, no joke. It's, like, it's not something you can, like, okay, if I time the jump correctly, I can get through these two laser uh, grids and and skip past it. So the second you throw the requisite amount of weight, like, it's just spinning around you. I literally had to, like, try to carefully, like, do the... Indiana Jones thing where it's like okay like gotta be careful and then drop the weight now like have to time it perfectly and then step back so it doesn't trip me and kill me I had to do that literally like 20 times
0: and it was driving me insane Uh, well as cool as these puzzles sound I don't think I'll be playing this game yeah but
1: you know for as annoying as it was at times I did still like I, I, I think I came away from it gaining something
0: nice yeah that's good
1: so yeah how about how about you alex have you you been playing anything
0: uh let's see um during my my travels in australia and on airplanes and airports i started playing threes again oh god yeah so i I beat my high score it's still not that high comparatively i got up to like around twenty four thousand. um but i've seen people do crazy things with that game um However, now that I've hit that point, I think I've kind of maxed out, and I'll be stopping for a while. Um, I finally got to play Overwatch in full. Oh yeah! Uh, last night, um, I w- will say I was a little surprised that e- even playing at I don't know 11 p.m. in North America, there weren't enough people at my level, so I was getting thrown in lobbies with like people level like 29 and stuff like that. And Wait, so what, was getting- what was your level? One. Oh, As I just okay. started playing. Yeah, so I was getting wrecked by people who had been playing the game nonstop since it came out. Christ. Yeah, so it was still fun, but it was definitely like, okay, uh, I need more practice with this game.
1: I feel like that's that's mostly that's the case with most first-person competitive shooters because, like, oh, you, totally. you like I remember playing, you know, Modern Warfare, and it's just like, all right, I'm gonna walk in and get wrecked for probably the first ten hours. Hello, R2D2 um yeah and uh after that like i'm gonna be up to speed and and oh yeah it's it's interesting it's kind of like the it's kind of like the you know the fucking new kid mentality (laughs) like it's very militaristic it's like yeah i'm getting like i'm getting the shit kicked out of me but like through perseverance and grit i'm going to you know overcome this
0: and then Uh, i'll shit on the new players oh yeah I, I can't wait till I get my, my Genji good enough to just ruin people. Um, for those of you who don't know, Genji is a incredibly difficult character to play as. Is the cyborg ninja from Overwatch. Oh, is he difficult to play? He is difficult to play. He is a glass cannon and uh, serves best as a flanker. Um, but that's not immediately obvious from the character. Um, he's got these... Imperfect ranged attacks is the shuriken throws, you know, one of them will throw a line of three shurikens But the delay time between throws is is slow and the Actual speed of the projectiles is slow. So you need to time it correctly And then the other distance move is a spread of three shurikens uh, along a horizontal line And so that's a bit faster. You can spam that more readily, but the the range of the three shur- uh shuriken is wider so it's not as though I'm just throwing a horizontal line out. It's like three specific points. Um. Yeah, he's a he's a difficult character.
1: Is that who you're going to be sticking with most of the time? Because I heard from uh, my coworker that like it's wise to pick like there's
0: like Moba esque picks and counter picks. Oh, absolutely! One of the biggest elements of the game is character switching. So you you essentially need to be good with everyone because uh, there are you while there are general strategies with all of them, some characters are hard counters to others. Um, Genji, for example, is a hard counter to bastion and bastion is a character that people are kind of salty about. He seems very overpowered, easy for new players to uh, use effectively, but it's not that he's overpowered. He's just easy to use and doesn't have a lot of hard counters. Yeah. Genji has a reflect attack where he can reflect all of bastions damage right back at him. Um, so if I were to be playing someone else and I see Bastion come on the field, maybe gun me down. I might switch to Genji or uh, a sniper or something.
1: I think it was on the Giant Bomb cast. I heard uh, <laughs> as someone was playing. Uh, well, there's like con- the control point uh, mode, and like they get to the point, and there's like four Bastions just sitting on the point, and they're
0: like, "Well, I guess, well, fuck it. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, don- exactly. I don't know." Um. I saw one replay where every person on the team was a bastion. Uh, bastion is a turret character. I don't think I said that.
1: Yeah. Uh, does he have so you? Can he only shoot in turret mode? Like, does he have nothing?
0: No, to offer? but that's his. So he has a mobile mode. He can walk around kind of slowly and has a a gun with a smaller clip that does less damage and is more inaccurate. His turret mode is just like a stream of death. Hmm. Yeah.
1: Um, who would you say are the easiest characters to pick up? Having, cause I I really want to play this game, um, but I'm short on fun, so that probably won't happen. Uh, so soon. So who would I? Yep.
0: Um. So you're familiar with the four classes of characters, right? Yeah, it's like attack, defense, support, um, and uh, tank. Okay. Um. So the of the the attack ones, I think they have the most. They're easiest. There's Soldier Seventy Six, who is this commando s character that uh, came about because they want to make, you know, they, th- they said, wouldn't it be funny if we had a call of duty character in here. Yeah. He just runs in guns. But man, uh, if that fucking trailer
1: for him, isn't the coolest thing I've ever oh, seen. Dude,
0: the animated shorts are what sold me on the game. Uh, I love those short videos. Um, the other character who's easy is Reaper. Uh, okay. I can see that. Yeah. Uh, just automatic fire shotguns. Uh, he's just fun. Uh, for for the support class, Mercy is really easy. She's the the medic from Team Fortress 2. You know, has a, a beam that can either heal enemies or uh, buff their damage. Um, the cool thing about her is that she has an ability to fly to wherever an wherever an ally is with an eyesight. So if she sees Farah, uh, uh, the the sort of the rocket jumping character mm-hmm. uh, in the air, she can fly up to her and and attach her healing line but she can also slowly fall down with her wings so mercy is this winged angelic. yeah she seems angelic yeah yeah um
1: i do like i've seen gameplay of of mercy and she seems like i don't like playing as healers like in mmos like yeah. i was never much of the healer type but like if mason were to get this on pc i could see us him
0: being offense and me just chasing him around yep. being uh um, one of the support characters oh totally um so the game, not only does it make it fun to be a support character, but it's completely integral to the team. And during the, the lobby screen, the, the game will provide helpful tips. If you have a team with too many offense characters, it will tell you that. Or it will have a little thing that says, no support character. So encouraging people to be a support character. And when you play against a team or play on a team without a support character, it shows because you're going to get wrecked. Yeah. Yeah. Like you kind of need a smart team layout, team
1: combination. And what I like about this game, like aesthetically, is that it's kind of the, it's, it's like, it's like the perfect kind of tribute where it's like, it's fan service-y to all these kind of like stereotypes and like mass media and stuff without being like overwrought. So it's like, you know, you have Reaper who seems like the most, death metal simple shotgun character yeah yeah, just like the dumbest like scrawl on the back of your trapper keeper kind of like fucking thing but like totally (laughs) but they like a great way of putting it make him they 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 give unique enough characterizations that they they're kind of they're they're tributes to like these kind of stereotypes archetypes yeah Uh,
0: yeah yeah i i definitely agree with that there's a lot of um, I don't know acknowledgement of what's come before with these characters. Yeah, or like but, you know, um, like I just love everything
1: about Junkrat's character. I just think, I just think hilarious. it's fucking. I think it's amazing. I didn't, I didn't know there were like emotes, like dancing emotes. And have you yeah. seen Junkrats? I have not. Junkrats uh, is great because it's just him, because he has like a bear trap or something.
0: Yeah, he, one of his, one of his moves is a bear trap.
1: Yeah, so he takes out his bear trap and treats Dang. the bear trap as like. A hat and does the dance, the the WD Frog. So he just kicks his leg out. Like, oh, to, hello, that's my so baby. Great. Hello, my honey. And it's like, like, and I mean, Blizzard's been doing that forever with their, uh, with their wow race dances. Like, you know, the Night Elf yeah, does the Michael, Michael Jackson thing. A ton but, of
0: emotes for each character that you can
1: choose. But then there's another one where it's like his funny emotes laugh emote, and it's just him and he takes the bear trap out and then treats it like a, 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 a ventriloquist dummy and just starts. Talking with it, oh, and moving so it up good. and down, and they just looks at it and they just laughs, like because he's just Cause so he's amused with himself. Yeah.
0: yeah. So the other uh, thing that Blizzard has done really well is fleshing out this story and this world and these characters outside of the game. They have a line of web comics, and one of them is about Roadhog and uh, Junkrat, and they're they're essentially just a criminal idiot duo from Australia, um, kind of like a uh, pen and teller of of criminal idiots. That's funny. Yeah. It's like Wario and Waluigi kind of totally. Cause or, um, um oh shit.
1: or like Abbott and Costello kind of thing. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Um, yeah. So the, there's one issue where they flesh out those two characters. If you want, if you want
1: to talk about appealing to a minute, uh, millennials through mass consumption, just say the word web comics and, and yeah, <laughs> you're halfway right. there.
0: Oh, they've got everything. Um, you know, the blizzard, knows how to play this game we'll put it yeah. that way
1: yeah and i mean what's really great is that there's like so much support that i don't see like i mean obviously uh you know team fortress 2 is still going strong yeah but so you don't i like i could wait a couple months you totally to buy
0: overwatch and still be fine yeah don't feel rushed at all um i think i'm most excited about seeing what this game becomes um you know this is day one this is the vanilla Launch day package, which is loaded with so much gameplay and so many characters. You know, new maps and characters are a given, but you know they've gone a record to say that the the team is interested in doing things like single player or campaigns or you know uh, or player versus enemy stuff. You know they, they've said it in the most diplomatic way possible that they're not doing it right now, but I could see a year from now that being in the cards.
1: Yeah, can't wait for Overwatch Burning Crusade. It's gonna be it's gonna be yeah. big. <laughs> it's gonna be blood elves. It's gonna be a whole thing. <laughs> but going back to the archetypes, like the fucking what's her name Diva. That's the fucking D- mech. Diva
0: is a driver. She, she is the most fan servicey character of all fan service. She is a video game. Yeah, I don't. I, I can't think of a better term than vixen. She is a. A slim, attractive female character who plays video games and drives a giant mech because of that and it's like a love letter to every every video game playing dork out there. But who's the and who's the DJ character?
1: I I never remember uh, his name. I,
0: I can't pronounce his name, it's like Lucio or I oh, do yeah. where the yeah. emphasis is. Yeah, because uh, there's
1: an accent on the I. That's right. Yeah. I yeah. think it's Lucio. But it's like he it's like someone on the team was like super into in jet, yeah. jet Set Radio. It's oh my like, god, yes.
0: Um. Yeah, and his character is cool because he's apparently an international pop star. Who, oh, of course he is. Who joined Overwatch. Yeah. Um. So he's, yeah, like, he's he's like Booster Gold. Yeah, pretty much. Um. Yeah. So he's the Jet Set Radio future character. We've got uh gamer diva, death metal Reaper, um, uh Call of Duty Soldier seventy six. We've got a cyborg ninja, like. If that's, yeah. not, a, that's that, not a stereotype, I don't know what is. Yeah. It's like their Gray Fox tribute. Totally. He is 100% Gray Fox. Yeah. Um, uh, the counterpoint there is his uh, brother Hanzo is a, a samurai archer-like character.
1: Of course he's in Samurai because his name's fucking Hanzo. So, yeah. I mean, like... And they're the dragon brothers. Yeah, um, I also like that cinematic. I thought that yeah. was really... Oh, that cool.
0: was fucking amazing.
1: I think Hanzo was like the first because you know when they first announced overwatch they were like kind of flashing through everyone's like kind of gameplay gimmick and i think this is yeah, before that they kind of showed off everyone i think it was basically like winston reaper uh, uh tracer. tracer um and i think hanzo was in there and it just showed hanzo hanzo like scaling up a wall and then mantling it and i was like i yeah. want to fucking play
0: that guy because that yeah. guy could just Assassin's creed the shit out of this entire game oh it works too it's cool that they have these like mantle abilities. So they have scaling for those two characters. The cyborg ninja has a double jump. Uh, Lucio can, uh, he can grind on walls. And there, he one of his alternate abilities is his gun sends out a, a shockwave, you know, force pushing players. And it shows him, there's a video of a player grinding on a wall over a, a crevasse. And he comes upon the entire enemy team on a bridge and force pushes them off the bridge while grinding back onto safe land man man the kind of things you can do with that character
1: i'm excited yeah i'm excited
0: uh yeah That's, that's that's really cool this could be a cool game yeah um i'll probably play a bunch of witcher over the summer hoping to get back into that um last i checked i was something like 20 or 30 hours in um but last summer i just didn't have time to play at all I, I haven't picked it up since
1: so you want to talk about a game that i bought and i've com- been completely engrossed in today and when you messaged me hey you ready to record i was like well let me get up out of my filth and stop playing the witcher stop playing the witcher
0: <laughs> oh my god The Witcher's pretty good wait when do you actually check to see if you were ready to record <laughs> huh Wait, who, who, oh, when you, you, you. Yeah, oh, when I texted you, yeah, you texted me. Oh, I thought you said Wendy for a second.
1: No, no, no. Wendy left 9 a.m. this morning. I was like, finally, get these distractions out of my life. So <laughs> I, I, I need play to play witch. Witcher.
0: <laughs>
1: uh, um, so what do you think? Um, I like it a lot more in two. <laughs> yeah, two was not my favorite. Two, I didn't get past like, like the first hour, hour and a half of two, which is just a, a, sh- a, a cumbersome shame. ass game. Yeah. Um. So. And like I remember talking about people talking about Witcher Two and being like, Alright, you gotta you gotta meditate and you gotta take your oils and your and your potions and and cue up your, your your uh charms or signs or whatever they're called uh before you go into combat. And I was like, Well that sounds boring as hell and yeah, super complicated.
0: Not a good use of my time.
1: Yeah. And they still and you still kinda do that in Witcher Three, but so on the fly that's so much more forgiving. Yeah, Um, then you just pause. All right, go into the pause screen. um, And, uh, you know, all right, I want to apply this oil now. Okay, you apply that oil, whatever. And the best thing, like, there are so many good ease of use, like, design uh, things in The Witcher 3. It's fantastic. Like, the fact that when you use alchemy to craft a potion you only ever have to craft that potion once in your life and then just every time you meditate you replenish those oh, it's potions so smart it's like thank you god that i don't have to go and hunt for wolfsbane every single time i need to make this specific potion
0: like that that was smart
1: like that's why i never engaged with like alchemy in skyrim
0: because you have to go get the materials every time and oh crap Alchemy in Skyrim was such a pain in the ass.
1: But, like, it's it's way more cumbersome than alchemy in something like World of Warcraft, because at least in World of Warcraft, everything is zone-specific mm. and level-specific. So it's like, okay, I'm level 50, and I need to make the potions that are around my level. I just need to be in the level 50 areas, and all the requisite herbs will be there. But And something that's much more realistic and less gamified, like, I have no fucking idea where to get half this shit and even if i looked it up in a wiki i don't want to have to travel there every single time like it's not simplified enough um in fact a lot of the crafting like i've just been picking everything up and i have no idea if i'm going to be using it to like craft craft metal or craft armor or weapons or whatever i might but i've just been picking everything up and just you know drowner brains ghoul's blood all this stuff you know you know silver essence whatever you know um and (laughs) you can just break everything down into everything else so like you could take drowner brains and just distill it into regular monster brains and drowner blood and just it's it's fascinating how much stuff kind of decomposes down into more general things and how you can recomposition them up back into more specific elements. So that's really cool. You still have to carry a bunch of shit, though. And then there's still a weight capacity, which yep. I'm nowhere near, but it's still, like, lingering.
0: I I, I, I'm at a point in the game where I have to be have been judicial about what I carry with me. Uh huh. Um, also, you're getting me so excited about The Witcher that I'm probably going to play it later tonight. It's so good! <laughs> it's really good! So it's been about a year since I last played the game. I... I just pulled up on YouTube, like, tutorials just so I could get back into the systems. Because things like... You know, I I could theoretically jump right back into it and figure it out over the course of, like, two hours. Like, what do I need to remember? Stuff like, where do I get all this? Like, I didn't remember that you could just uh, meditate and refill all your potions until you mentioned it. So, I need to watch this tutorial. It's so smart. Yeah, and... And the oh, fact,
1: yeah. and the fact that you can ride your horse and just hold the A button, and your horse just magnetizes Follows the trail oh, to the God. path. It's like that is the smartest thing ever. Like, why don't more games do this? It's amazing. I'm
0: pretty sure you could do that in Red Dead Redemption. Um, oh, I've never played Red Dead. So, oh, oh man. So I'm sure that's come up in the podcast before that you need oh, to play Red Dead. Yeah, yeah. That game. Oh man, I remember the either the summer it came out or right after one of my buddies had got it. And I was staying in his place in long Island. Uh, we were recording for the, the band I was in at the time. And we're just chilling out, sitting on the couch. And he's like, check out this game I got. And he pulls up red Dead redemption. Probably about two or three hours in the game. He's reached like a main settlement town, turns it on starts walking around. I'm like, dude, what the, what the fuck is this game? I had, it, I just totally missed it. Hadn't heard anything about it. Um, oh man. I should go play that game. Um, <laughs> IGN Snapchat feed has been doing every day. They've been doing like road to E3 stuff. What do we expect to see? And Red Dead Redemption 2 was in there. I think they gave it a six out of 10 likeliness that we'd see it at E3. Yeah. NX zero out of 10 likeliness that we'll yeah, see at E3. That's unfortunate. Um, Mass Effect Andromeda 10 out of 10. We're going to see that at E3. I'm excited.
1: Yeah. I'm, I'd am i be willing to play a new Mass Effect um, I, I, s- I
0: am so willing to wash my hands of Mass Effect 3's ending and give them a, a second chance and that's all I'm going to say about it so I don't watch into a rant I can see your face right now he's like oh god
1: no I just uh, the my mind was just thinking like oh Dylan are you ready to be contrarian again and say that you didn't mind Mass Effect 3's ending and, and alienate all your friends and family again are you ready to do that? And then the little bit of me that's the the the
0: the rebel is like, "Yes." Let's. Well, you, you'll be you'll be happy to hear I can understand why the why that ending would not bother most people, and I am part of I think a minority that was really upset about that ending. <laughs> I
1: When I think of Mass Effect 3's ending, the only thing that sticks in my mind is my Commander Shepard holding on to, like, the two columns after I made the control choice and watching him dissolve away and watching him think about all of his friends and family and just still shots. And I'm like, that is the most, like, like, heart-touching, like, that is how you would do it. Like, yes, there's a lot surrounding that ending that I could f- see how it would be distasteful to people. But that singular moment where he is, you're choosing a sacrifice and he like, and the only thing he can think of at that moment is his friends and colleagues and family. Like that was like, yes, like that is how you do a high, like, you know, uh, a high thinking uh, space opera is uh, oh, that's, absolutely. that's how you encapsulate and- it.
0: And I think if you ignore all the, you know, that four minutes leading up to it, and we don't talk about the whole, you know, <laughs> tell doctorate. me about the shepherd. Yeah. If we don't talk about any of the weird setup and the fact that the writing was so bad that you could pull weird illogical conclusions from what the hell's going on there. If we just focus on that sacrifice and if we actually hadn't been given any of the R2 choices, if it had just said here, Captain Shepard, sacrifices himself and thinks of his friends and family while he dies the end i think i would have liked that ending a lot more also and get, if you, you fixed all the other stuff <laughs> and i could see that and you know what it reminds me of because i just watched the
1: cinema sins for star trek the motion p- picture it actually reminds me of the ending of the motion picture have you seen that uh it's been a while since i saw we're talking
0: about the the jj abrams one no, 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 The original uh, from like no. the 70s. Have you ever seen that? The of of the original Star Trek movies, I've only seen the the scene where he yells, "God!" That's literally <laughs> all you.
1: You haven't even seen Wrath of Khan. You've just seen that scene.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, it's I'm not gonna, that I. It's not that I don't like Star Trek. Oh, right. I've actually enjoyed everything I've seen. I've just never gravitated towards it.
1: I mean, I've never seen any of the television, so mm-hmm. I. Um. But so basically, to give you a rough outline, if it's fine, if I can spoil this. 40 year old movie for you um basically uh starfleet or the federation or whatever the 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 governing body is in the star trek universe is being attacked by this threat and it's literally like destroying everything it's kind of like a unicron scenario sweet um and they don't know how to combat it so they send uh the enterprise out and the enterprise finds out it's um it's actually the voyager Space capsule that was sent out in the '60s by the United States. That's cool. Whose goal was to collect information about the universe and then bring it back to Earth. And so it's come back sentient after being gone so long, and it calls itself Voyager because, um, like the nameplate that says Voyager on itself is scratched out. So kind of like the Craggle from, yeah, Lego Movie. And the way uh, it communicates with people when they finally find it, because it's not just like the actual thing itself, because that thing's, you know, not much bigger than this, this uh, uh, room, yeah. but it, um, so like builds this huge structure around it. And then it like basically kind of like the Borg, it like takes control of this uh, woman um, who's the love interest of one of the people on the Enterprise. And so it comes back with all this amassed knowledge, but, in, but it doesn't have like true sentience. It kind of has like this faked form of sentience. Uh-huh. And, it, and it's speaking through this kind of bored out woman that it took control of. And so the way it wants to kind of achieve true enlightenment is to merge with a real person. So the guy that was in love with the woman who doesn't really exist anymore offers himself to merge
0: with uh, vigor. And then, now, ve- when we talk merge, do we mean spiritual sense of merge, physical sense, or or sex?
1: No, he like spiritual, like almost exactly like how Mass Effect Three ends, where he's gotcha. like body dissolves and turns into a bunch of bits and bites, and got it, and then he's gone forever. And then Vigar leaves. But it's or- like it's like it, it's a weird like kind of philosophical situation where it's like it's not really the effects of what's happening is like engaging you. It's the idea of like someone actually kind of being so enamored with the idea of a higher state of being that they would do that to themselves. Mm. So, so it's really interesting and, and it kind of evokes the same idea or same nice. feelings. Yeah, that, it is a,
0: it is a cool sci-fi concept.
1: Yeah. So yeah, so that's, so that's my state of defense for Mass Effect three. I understand mm. how people could find it um, unappealing in other ways, but uh, that, that singular scene did it for me and i was like all right bioware your aces in my book nice. and i saw it after they like retcon the ending or whatever they did differently
0: uh, that, the last thing i'm gonna say about this before i launched into a tirade is that that dlc was like a slap in the face it was salt in the wound because it was so bad and did nothing fuck that shit that's how angry that, that thing made me um, anyway new at new mass <laughs> effect I'm really excited. Coming near it. you, yeah. Uh, apparently, it's going to focus more on the the exploration elements. Yeah, I mean that's that, what that, it should have done. I mean it's it's, it's fucking oh, yeah. it's fucking Star Trek. Like that's yeah. like that's what it should have done. <laughs> um, speaking of space exploration, No Man's Sky. Hmm. Um. So far, the only thing keeping me from being batchet crazy excited about this game. ...is that I haven't really seen... ...and I know they're just keeping it under wraps... ...or else they don't have anything... ...and the game is screwed. I haven't seen an impetus to explore... ...or to play the game. The entire game... Uh, ...for those of you who don't know about it, is it's a procedurally generated... ...world exploration game. Uh, you explore these fantastical worlds. Some might be hazardous to inhabit... ...or walk around. Some might have wild animals. They all look strange and fantastic... There are economies of resources and minerals to upgrade your ship. There is a loose, like, Forerunner-esque story element. But I haven't seen anything about what makes this game playable.
1: I think it's taking a lot of what made Minecraft so appealing from an exploration standpoint, where it's like, here's here are the systems, here are the tools, find find the meaning. Which... Um, is why I enjoyed playing Minecraft because yeah. like if you give me a an interesting setting you know and a good soundtrack to listen to like that that's fine I'll, okay I'll, I'll be cool with that Uh, and I also think it's partially because they want to keep some of it you know they want to keep it secret for people to discover yeah and thirdly I think it's because they're just super swamped with developing it because yeah. they it just, just got- pushed it back yeah, yeah. just
0: got pushed back, so. Okay, I can dig that. Um, I, yeah. Um, and now that I think about it, the, the witness kind of rides on that too. I haven't even gotten to the, I guess the true story elements of the witness. Um, okay. Yeah, so I mean, and, and there's something to be said, and I think
1: I think Mason said this before, like there's something to be said about, you know, not kind of, showing your entire hand and right. you know having people kind of you might you might turn people off because you know they're paying sixty dollars and they might not know, know exactly what they're getting into um but you know that's half the joy of going to the movies or reading a book like if you knew exactly yeah. how you were going to feel about it why would you do it because the whole point of experience this stuff is to have new experiences so
0: yeah that's a really good point okay cool Um, during my, my travels to Australia, uh, mostly on the plane flights and in the last like, yeah, like day of being there when I was really sick, I would like to imagine you
1: as like Charles Darwin, like on the ship, kind of like rocking back and forth, kind of suffering from seasickness, like sitting in your, your little cabin because you're like during my travels.
0: To the prison I, colony. I mean, that's not how you travel. Like that's that's exactly <laughs> like I said. What I don't travel. Like I've been on airplane once ah, in my entire life. So well, we'll have to take you to the prison prison colony. Though. <laughs> oh boy! Um, yeah, hooray! Um, anyway, I read the entirety of this comic series called Lock and Key. Uh, it's a award winning uh, series by Joe Hill and I can't re- remember the artist. Uh, it's about this family of primarily the children, but this family that undergoes massive tragedies and are forced to move to Lovecraft, Massachusetts. And that name alone should be an indication as to what this series is. It's essentially a love letter to H.P. Lovecraft. This uh, family lives in this house uh, with a storied legacy of magic keys that do fantastical things. And it's about uh, the horrors that befall this family uh, and their discovery of the, these keys. And at first the artwork w- wasn't my thing, but by the, the end of the series, I, I couldn't get enough of it either. I'd have to go back and read the first volume, but either the guys art style evolved or just got used to it. It is one of the most well-written, well-drawn incredible series that I've, I've ever like, you know, binged on. And I would be remiss if I didn't at least mention it. Um, you know, go read this comic. It's so good.
1: Yeah, I've heard of it before. Um, and it's funny because when you said Lock and Key, I immediately thought of Cloak and Dagger. Yeah, but yeah. I, know, I know it's something
0: else. Very different. Cloak and Dagger are a Marvel superhero team.
1: They're apparently getting their own show from what I've heard. Uh,
0: are they? Uh, yeah. Um, uh, okay, I could see but that.
1: But I don't think it's going to be like a Netflix Marvel. I think it's going to be more like an ABC Marvel from what I've heard. Uh, so
0: good. Okay, that's going to suck. So, so um, they're,
1: so they're going to have to keep her... Uh, uh daggers
0: like um boobies to a minimum i mean sure that's fine but it, the abc is going to turn that into you know whatever the hell they did with agents of shield uh i've never seen agents of shield it's it's what you'd expect from abc oh, yeah.
1: uh, you mean Freeform? welcome to Freeform. oh is that their shtick the new home no they renamed abc family to Freeform. oh oh you <laughs> yeah <laughs> um Also, every time I see Lock and Key by Joe Hill, I keep thinking by Jonah Hill and <laughs> it's like a completely different series in my mind. Oh, that'd be so good that would be be great um yeah, I'm looking at this art style and I can i can, I see what you mean by saying talking about it not being that appealing at first glance.
0: yeah, let me pull up on Google images right now and uh yeah, so at first glance it it's just not it wasn't for me, but by the end of it it's. It's so, so fucking good. Yeah. On, on its own, it doesn't really exist well without the context of everything else going on on the page. I'm looking at Google images right now. Um, huh? Anyway, uh, what else is, is new? Any other media that you've consumed worth talking about? How are your, uh, how are your utilities? (laughs) My utilities are doing fine. Um,
1: I just wanna kinda of talk about the Witcher some more. Oh yeah. Um how far are you? Um I So here's the thing. I kept hearing about oh sorry if I if you heard that and knocked into my uh the uh, Now you're good. Windscreen. Um I heard about the first area white orchard can be like you could just be stuck there for basically ever if you let yourself. Yeah. Because there's just so much to do. Yep. I didn't have that problem. And I wasn't okay. ex- I wasn't exactly mainlining the the main quest, but I was um I was following it like I was if if I got to like some quest hub and it gave me a, the next point in the main quest, but then it gave me all these Side quests, be like, all right, I'm gonna do all the side quests because they're at my level and whatever. Look at the notice board. I basically, like, I used to read all the notes on the notice board, and I just go up to the notice board and just go,
0: a a a a a a a. Yeah.
1: All right, if it's interesting, I'll read it. If not, fuck
0: off. I got shit to do. I got witching yeah. to be done. Um, I, I kind of I glance at the stuff and, and read what's worth reading, but yeah, I'm with you.
1: Well, it's crazy. I went to one notice board. And I got a quest, and the quest was recommended level 33, and I was like, Jesus Christ, I'm level 7. Like, why the fuck would you even give this to me right now? So you can backtrack later, of course. <laughs> but, um... Oh, well, it's nice. It doesn't feel like there's that much backtracking, because it seems like kind of like a sprawl.
0: Yeah. Um, And... and Oh, dude. And just wait. That's still, like, the first main hub area? It gets bigger. Right. I, I, no, so I left White Orchard. So okay. I, went, I went to the keep... Um
1: or the uh wherever the emperor is okay and all the politics are super interesting. Like having nah, not played one never or two. Did it for me. Oh well, I I find it interesting, but yeah, I like I'm glad I like do. I kind of like political theater in fantasy because hey, like there you go. I feel like that's all there really is. Like because otherwise we're just talking about oh we gotta fight some ancient evil or you some mean? overwrought doom. But like when it's like no. <laughs> People are just being people, and they're always assholes. And they're just like this guy just wants to rule everything and thinks he's the next Napoleon or Caesar. So he's just going to take everything. Um, And that stuff's interesting. So like trying to pay attention to kind of like the difference, the the culture clash of like the the uh, imperial um, people. I think is super interesting. Like there's a lot of like I don't know how to. I, I would I guess it's fascism. Is what it is because, like the conquering people, like think, um, because it, it's a southern empire that's like encroaching on the north, and they're called the Nilfgardians, and um, the northern people are called Nordlings, uh, because obviously we have to have some sort of Scandinavian influence, um, and they think, and the Nilfgardians consider the Nordlings like very, uh, um, you know, barbaric and uneducated and all this stuff and then the nordlings called the nilf guardians or the nilf guardian army the black ones yeah which i feel like is like a, super demeaning yeah um also kind of racist since yeah. there are no black people um but it's
0: yeah but like just I like mean, what, w- what would you call an invading army something nice
1: no but that's that's exactly it like it's yeah. because like they're they're in black armor and like their crest is like a. Uh, golden sun on a black field it's like it's it's really interesting um it's kind it's also the reason why like i enjoyed skyrim story especially the part about the the uh empire and the um resistance i always
0: thought was super interesting yeah um Uh, to your point I, i think i do i enjoy seeing the politics play out on a smaller level and seeing how that affects like the local world the you know the towns the bars um but on the other hand i i think what I really like about The Witcher and The Witcher series, um, I read a couple of the books, is the fact that they managed to take this in what a lot of fiction would be, you know, uh, over doom. Like monsters are attacking, there's a griffin, there's a sea creature, and they've just made it like he's an electrician like this is just part yeah. of the world and and this is a trade he has mastered
1: and they make his trade so scientific because they're like oh there's a devil attacking the will it's like no that's a that's a a a, a noon ghost yeah. like there's like specific categorizations of oh, yeah. all of these monsters it's like oh that's a that's that's a geist that's a that's a ghoul that's a whatever it was like i think that's super fascinating it's like kind of like you know, in Dungeons and Dragons, where it's like you have all these super specific classifications of of monsters, um, but then it's like someone's job to like study totally. up on that and 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 learn about them, learn learn about the the differences in them.
0: He he's equal parts, um, zoologist and you know wild animal catcher. Yeah, like he he's the town dog man, but he's also, at, you know, he he knows the difference between different shades of of ghoul Mm -hmm. and it's also
1: really interesting how um it's a really good scene like really early on where you're because like the the main thread of the story is that you're trying to find this person who means a lot to you but um (laughs) he finds someone who's like a hunter by trade that he wants uh he is uh needs his help to find this person and he's like, yeah, the town oh, yeah, the town yeah. kicked me out and he's like, what what is it? Lycanthropy? And he's like, what? And he's like, are you a werewolf? Like I, I can help. I can cure that. I got I got stuff for that. And he's like, no, I'm gay. And it's like they kicked me out cuz I'm gay. And I'm like, whoa. Uh, it's like oh. Geralt just became like super unequipped to handle this situation. <laughs> yeah. And it's really like it's a very interesting
0: scene. Yeah. It's, no, I, I really like that stuff.
1: Yeah, uh, obviously I have the bloody Baron quest. I have not started it at all. Um, it's just sitting there so, in my quest log. I so. know.
0: I know Mason loves that quest, and I agree with him for all the reasons that it succeeds. But God, that quest is long, and initially, at least, it has you doing such bitch work <laughs> that I kind of soured me to to a the rest of it. But it, it is an incredible piece of storytelling. I think. I think the conceit's really cool. Um, because when you hear the, the,
1: the, the title of the, um, of the quest, Bloody Baron, like just by itself, you think it's like some sort of ghost or something, but as, like, it's really cool. I'm not going to say anything more about it, okay. but I think it's really cool. Yeah. Um, uh, so, else? so I would say the part that aggravated me, um, is everything like that you control immediately. So I think. The combat is kind of clunky. Um, oh. Well. Hmm. Well, and, I mean, I'll, and I'll explain why. So, like, I I kind of, um, in terms of, like, third-person, like, sword combat, I still feel like Shadow of Mordor is, like, best-in-class right now to so me. I
0: haven't played Shadow of Mordor.
1: And, I mean, people would reductively call it uh, the Batman combat, which it is the Batman com- combat applied
0: to swordplay, but... Okay. But it's still, fluid and it works. That's the thing. It's like there's so much like flow saying, to it. That's like saying X X A B Y is the Mortal Kombat <laughs> combat, and every other game that has a combo doing that is a copy of Mortal Kombat.
1: Right. But it
0: Shadow of Mordor
1: is so fluid in its combat, and and it and you always feel, you know, and and I said this when I was talking about um, Ori. I don't know if I said it on the podcast, but I was discussing it. Maybe to someone else when I was talking about Ori. Yeah, you talked
0: about Ori last episode.
1: Yeah, but what specifically is that, like, what Ori sometimes fails to do is that, you know, you'll mess up, but sometimes it's not your fault that you messed up. Uh, In Shadow of Mordor, when you mess up, you know it's chiefly your fault. You didn't block someone. You didn't didn't respond correctly. Just like in Batman, you didn't block, you didn't parry. In Witcher 3, especially the beginning, and especially because there's levels tied to everything, um, which I don't know if I'm the biggest fan of a leveling system anymore but he ghouls and drowners were just like shoving their feet up my
0: ass like so
1: much uh, I was I just getting repped
0: I fucking hate that move um, yeah
1: when he just leaps at you and also the counter system I cannot pull off outside of the tutorial like they flash red like their name tags flash red when they're about to strike and you can use that time to hit L and you'll do a counter attack yeah. I have never pulled that off successfully, uh, like intentionally outside it, the tutorial. It
0: takes a lot of practice, but once you get it, 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 like, once you have the combat down, and it is a very steep learning curve, it, it feels like there's more finesse to it. Yeah. Um, and it's less frustrating, but. So that's the thing. Like, it's yeah. it,
1: what, what I will compliment about it is that I, I feel like I'm learning, like, specific combat maneuvers against opponents. So, like, now my strategy for the drowner is, like, instead of trying to, learn like i've pretty much given up on the counter-attack system because like i i like that's going to save your life well i just feel like i need a bigger window like i just i'm not i'm not find some low-level enemies go find a pack of wolves
0: and practice with them
1: all right um but like my current strategy is that when a drowner leaps because i was just doing a lot of combat rolls because like oh because obviously a combat roll is more it's better than just the regular dodge because yeah. the dod- dodge you just step out of the way, but now I'm just dodging everything. So it'll be a Drowner leaps. I dodge, hit it from behind, turns around, tries to attack again. I dodge. So like, so I will say like, maybe it's just the fact that there's that learning curve, and I'm slowly getting better at it. Yeah. Um. I do. I I will say for the combat at least, it's it's feeling less cumbersome, less clunky, but. Good. I will say that the movement, especially movement on horseback at certain points, gets so frustrating. Especially like so did you hear about the whole the huge like debacle there was about this game with the with the with uh Geralt's movement initially? Mm, no. So Geralt's movement's really weird. We're like uh, Geralt. Oh, Geralt, sorry. Yeah. Um where in most games when you hit the stick like there's immediate feedback and they start moving they might like there might be a a a momentum or a velocity curve where like they start moving a little bit and then they speed up yep but in Geralt it's literally like you have to like when you first initiate movement there's like a half a second delay to him moving where like and, and 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 what's what's cool is that it's kind of replicating like actual human movement It's that like you don't just go from zero to like kind of like a speed walk like you do in games but what's frustrating is like your mind is trained so much by other games that like that feels bad yeah so they like patched in like in their first patch they patched in an alternative alternative uh movement to geralt so like now you can just, just like any other game, just hit the stick and he starts moving. But like, I forgot that entire debacle and start until I started playing. I don't even remember that. Like, I mean, it was it's been so long, but it was I'll, kind of a big deal. Playing, yeah. But like, but now I can recognize it because I just hit it at when, when I had the, the default control scheme on, I would hit it and he would just like kind of stand there for a sec and then start moving. I was like, what the fuck is this? I can't, I can't stand this. Um, but now it's a little bit better. But I will say there are just points. Like, his radius of, like, when you can select something is, like, super fucked up to me. Like, there's so many times where I, like, walk over monster loot just trying to hit A. Yeah. And, like, it just won't highlight it properly. And I'm like, what? Like, like the game either needs a reticle or needs something. Because, like, I just... It's frustrating to like have to reposition myself so much yeah especially like like even though like his his movement forward is better for me like he still sometimes takes a little bit of suggestion to like turn around sometimes they're just standing like no no don't like i like it's frustrating because like yes I, I, i want i want this character to move naturally but also no i just want him to move efficiently like like he doesn't need to do a, a half spin a u-turn just like just spin him around and get him going like it''s it's, it's frustrating and it's like yeah, totally. it's like two parts of my mind like kind of like arguing with one another
0: I'll start playing it again and I'll let you know what I think next time we do the the podcast but um, I remember that that being a huge issue in the second one and I've it, it's amazing how how much of this game I forget and is also coming back to me.
1: Yeah, um, and I will say, like, I feel like some of like this holdover stuff just feels like, um, this holdover stuff. Some of this stuff is a holdover from CRPGs because of the fact that there's still like a stat window that pops up, so, like Geralt took 256 damage, like that does that is completely useless. Why is that there? Like, stop spawning yeah. these these text notifications in the in this lower left hand corner. Like, this this is not that kind of game. If it were uh. like. I don't
0: remember that at all.
1: Yeah, I don't know if you can turn it off. I didn't check, uh, but yeah, it's just kind of like that doesn't need to be there. That super does not need to be there. So I just feel like wow. a lot of like the interface stuff is kind of a holdover from a CRPG, but it's frustrating because you know I'm playing this on a TV in my chair, so I'm not like I'm not at a desk. So like a lot of the UI isn't like in my face. So, so like, the fact that the the items and um, the backpack are so small. Yeah. And, and this is just, uh, like... That
0: is the, the fucking menus are the worst. I hate that.
1: Well, it's not... They're not hard to navigate. Um, they're a little bit, and they're unintuitive. Like, oh, I don't know where stuff is. The character screen is super unintuitive. Like, the fact oh, that yeah. you have not only an upgrade tree, but you have six, like, five or six upgrade trees. And then on top of that, you can only... Even if you upgrade or unlock an ability, spend an ability point, you still have only so many slots to, to slot it. your ability. So I would just go in and spend an ability and then just completely forget to equip it. Yeah. It's, and then, like, why isn't that like thing that. triggering? That's stupid. Yeah. It's just it's, – it's a very, very PC-oriented kind of, like, systems design that I'm not into. Yeah. But also, like, just the fact that the visualization of the, of the menus, like, everything is so small and so – compartmentalized to me that it just doesn't feel doesn't feel real enough Mm -hmm. so so like i don't know why but like you know people complain about the list that is the skyrim menu
0: oh i love the list
1: but like at least like the items were like big and bold and in your face you could like
0: kind of grapple it um yeah i knew that menu was great to me yeah and it wasn't perfect i've seen improvements but i liked it
1: I mean, I, the only complaint I have there is that when I would go into my like chest at my house, I'd, like I have to scroll through like 100 things to get yeah. to the thing I wanted to yeah. craft whatever sort, I wanted. Sorting were
0: the improvements I've seen. Yeah. Um, so I actually need to go and start packing.
1: Oh, because uh, you're leaving again.
0: I, I am leaving again. I'm not in Richmond very long. And the next time we have this podcast, Mason and I will be speaking from the same microphone. Will you? We will. Okay, I was curious how you guys were going to set that up. Yeah, we need to get a headphone splitter, but there's only one microphone input with my uh, audio hardware. Hmm. I mean, you and I, you, me, and Dan did one microphone just fine with uh, three of us. Yeah, but the problem, well... Yeah, but that might... The problem is that
1: it's only until after the fact that you realize, uh, like if someone was too quiet and I can only boost you guys up so much. So what I think a better yeah. alternative would be, would just make cause Mason used his, um, his snowball last week. Oh, in that case, we'll just do that. It, it sounds pretty good. So I think what you use the mic you're using right now, and then Mason uses his snowball, maybe like in another room. So you guys don't catch each other's audio. Yeah. That sounds uh, good to me. And I think, I think that would work out better. And then you guys can like shout at each other down the hall or whatever you want to do do you guys have separate rooms you guys yes. have separate rooms right we do okay
0: uh, i haven't lived in the same room as someone since my sophomore year of college and yeah I'm, uh, <laughs> and you miss it nope <laughs> not one bit yeah uh awesome um cool cool well we're gonna call this the uh the dax podcast the dax the dylan dax. alex yeah okay no yeah no i like it no, real
1: podcast we're gonna call it the real podcast because real. i know how, I, the real ward podcast because i know how much that aggravates mason oh sweet okay we're definitely calling it that <laughs> the real world podcast
0: episode one go episode one all
1: right um
0: all right man anything uh,
1: anything else before
0: we before we nope, shut it all gonna, down uh in addition to packing i'm gonna play some witcher and overwatch and i'll have some uh New thoughts for you? Oh, also, when I dropped by Jersey, I had a package shipped the Overwatch collector's edition, so will be able to talk about that uh, next week. It's got a bunch of goodies in there, like the art book, soundtrack, and some other stuff.
1: So let me, I'm just trying to understand your plans correctly. So you're dri- uh, dri-
0: driving the Jersey. Yeah, the st- these, these plans suck, but okay. it's got to happen. So tomorrow, I'm driving to Northern Virginia, uh, going to crash on a buddy's couch and, and hang out with him. So that breaks up the trip, so I'm not just driving five hours north um, then I, the on Monday morning, I drive to Jersey. I'm going to spend two days with my family, see my parents hang out there, and Wednesday morning, I'm driving five hours west from Jersey to Pittsburgh. So it's a lot of driving, but this way I get to see my parents who I couldn't see uh, a week and a half ago because of car trouble.
1: Okay, and yeah, that sound that sounds a lot better. Um, Than just doing it all in one go.
0: Oh God, screw that. Um, and and then when you guys start Deep Local, we start Monday the sixth. Okay. So crazy to think in a week and two days I will uh, be an employee somewhere again. Yeah, that's wild. I haven't had a full time paying job since, and even though I'm just an intern, but I haven't had a full time paying job since March of last year.
1: I haven't had a full-time paying job since. Oh, you're a college grad.
0: You've got an excuse. Yeah. Um, cool. So, what about you? Any any last thoughts?
1: Uh, well, I'm, I'm I I wanted to kind of ask you about Deep Local. Yeah, I, go for
0: it. So you guys probably won't be able to talk about what you're working on there, right? Uh, likely no. We had to sign an NDA even during the initial visit we had back in April. Um. What I can tell you is it will likely be a mix of real company work and intern work. Uh, the The deep local shop class, which is what I think they call their intern program, uh, has a website up where you can look at intern projects. And uh, I think at this point, they've done enough times where you could say traditionally, uh, they've done both intern projects and real work. cool. So that that's exciting.
1: So it's like a common place for brand center
0: people ago. No. Uh this is huh. the well they had an intern last year who turned into a full-time employee. Uh but this is the first time they've recruited heavily from us. Oh cool. Um, yeah, we've got six interns and six full-time hires. Uh I don't know if I'm the only one calling it Brand Center North, but I've heard that term <laughs> thrown around kind of jokingly, but it totally is. That's it's pretty the, cool. It's the most brand center Full-time hires and employees that I think there have ever been in one place for one summer. So sweet, awesome. Um,
1: I completely blanked out on what I was going to say. So it's like, so it's an ad agency, or is it like
0: branding? Or was they don't have a great name for what they are. Uh, I've heard the term "innovation studio" used. (laughs) Uh, Personally, I don't like it.
1: Mercenary work.
0: Yeah, I, I think "innovation studio" sounds a bit highfalutin. Uh, in re- reality, <clears throat> uh, they make the apply technology in really interesting ways to make cool experiences for brands that also benefit uh, people in general. Um, they make a lot of cool shit in really new and interesting ways.
1: Well, I know Mason will get along there then because cool shit is things he likes and yeah. likes making.
0: So they're they're a make cool
1: shit company. <laughs> At least it's not make shit cool?
0: Yeah, no, that's easier said than done.
1: Yeah. All right. Yeah. Um. Me, I'm just gonna be kind of uh hunkered down here over the summer, looking for a job, looking for steady work. Um. Sweet. I'm not too worried. It's it's kind of bad because it's like I didn't have a job. Like I was looking for a job. Uh. Probably this entire semester, but nothing really kind of lined up. But um. You know, I'm working. My job that was working and they're kind of like, you know, it pays well and it's steady work and it's fun. And I really like it's like the first job I've had in a while. That's like both like kind of a respectable Mm -hmm. um, job and also one where I actually enjoy being with the people that surround me. Nice. It's been it's been a long time where both of those things line wow. up. Usually it's one or the other. This is the the company that you're playing son of
0: nor for, right? No, 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 no.
1: no. I'm talking about my gig over at the school of engineering.
0: Oh, okay, yeah.
1: Um and they're just really really nice, really cool people and like That's great. I thought I was a student worker position, so I thought my like role would be ended at the end of the summer because that's usually how long they give student workers like the summer after they graduate or like the semester after they graduate, or whatever. <laughs> And she's like, it's no, you can work here for as long as you want. And I was like, don't tell me that. Cause then I was like, <laughs> then I'm never going to leave. Yeah. Even less of an incentive to like look for work. But
0: I mean, I'll. Well, I mean, tell you what, if this is your first, technically your first job after college, you like the people you work with, you're making enough money, and you could see it as being part of your resume. Like it actually will be something that you can say, oh, I did this. Now hire me for, for this later on. Hire me for that. Like stick with it. Yeah. You
1: know. yeah and right now we're doing content migration for the school engineering's website because we're doing a redesign and they're yeah. like and they every time they mention that to me they're like resume building resume building resume yeah. building <laughs> so just like stay here over the summer and build your resume and i was like all right that sounds good yeah um
0: honestly that's a great deal yeah
1: cool. it's got it's just not completely full-time i think i'm camped at like 29 hours Uh-oh. so People are like ah, it's, buh, 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 it's not a real job. I'm like, well, well
0: also real. I mean, yeah. You know, see if you can push for more hours. Like, yeah. Yeah. You know, go in there and be like, hey, I'm gonna leave unless you let me work for you more. <laughs> yeah, which is a pretty sweet deal, I guess.
1: Yeah, so I'm liking it. So I'll, I'll, I'll keep doing what I'm doing. Look for something. Get uh,
0: work on games. Yeah. Being- I mean, hey, if you if you ever want to talk to someone about how to find a job or how to actually go about the job search, hit me up. Uh I've, you know, I've got that shit down, and I'm sure Dan knows a quite a fair amount about it too. All right. Cool. Yeah. All right.
1: All right. We're podcast out. Out. All right. See ya. See ya, bye.